Every once in a while, you just got to let it out. Down in the south, you can't hold it in. You got to let it out. I'm from Florida, and we just don't know any better down in the state of Florida. I'm telling you, we have had us just a holy hoot and an annie all weekend long. Have we not? It's been amazing Friday night and all day yesterday, and now we're going to have our time together today. And I'm so very grateful for this worship ministry. I really am. Andre, where'd you go? Andre, thank you, sir, for your leadership, and thank you for the invitation to be here this weekend. Austin, it's been nice to meet you, sir. It really has, and congratulations to you. Amen. Well, amen, yeah. So... Well, my name is Terry, and I'm from the state of Florida. I was born there and had no choice in the matter. It's just where I was born. My family grew us up there in the state of Florida. I married my wife, Erlene, right there. She and I this summer will be married 42 years this summer, yeah. And um, we were married when we were 10. And we have two children, Christopher and Stephanie, and they have provided us five grandchildren. We have... Four little girls by our daughter Stephanie, and we have one little boy by our son Christopher, and they are the joy of our life. They really are. And uh, I have spent most all of my life in Florida, with exception of three years that I went away to the cemetery, uh, seminary in Fort Worth and uh, did my seminary education there, and then I served three years at a church in Augusta, Georgia. But prior to that, all of my life has been living right there in the state of Florida, and we have had a wonderful ministry and a wonderful life that God has provided us. I'm going to get right into this this morning because I understand that I only have an hour and 15 minutes <laughs> to share what I believe that God has put on my heart today. And I want you to go on this journey with the, me this morning because the subject matter that we've been dealing with all weekend long has been the subject matter of worship and why worship is a priority of life. And why worship is not one of those things that we attend. It's not something that we watch. It's not something we observe. It's not something that we just go to. Worship is one of those things that we live out in our spiritual journey. It's one of those things that we live out in our spiritual walk. It's one of those things that we pursue on a daily basis. So I want to share with you today a message that I believe that God has sort of passionately put on my heart now for the last 20 to 25 years, and I can't seem to get away from the passion of the subject matter of worship. So today I'm going to ask you to do this for me. I'm going to ask you to pray that God would give you ears to hear what he's desiring to say to us today through his holy word. And I, I'm going to ask you to have a mind to understand all that God is desiring for us to hear through his holy word. And I'm going to ask you to have a heart to receive everything that God desires to whisper and to speak into our hearts today. And I urge you, by the Holy Word, I urge you by the power of God to be transformed by the renewing of your mind as it relates to worship. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started. Lord, I thank you for this morning and all that we have encountered, all that we have experienced, all that we've been able to express in our worship time together this morning. Thank you for this worship team, and thank you for Andre and his leadership. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you have not only blessed this church, but this church has been faithful in its ministry to you and this community, the families of this church. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we have this morning to be in your presence. And I pray that when we leave this place today, 
that we would not be the same because of our encounter with you. You are holy. You are God. And you are faithful. Bless this time together in your holy word this morning. And we will give you all the glory and all the praise. We love you. And it's in your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. There are some present realities that are beginning to develop in America today that are astounding. And the present realities of where the church culture is in America is really not good news. And as we think about where we are spiritually, where we are morally in the country today, we're not where we used to be. We are at a place now where we are teetering between being effective and not being effective at all in reaching those around us in our communities, in our states, and in America. And the present realities that are astounding to me, as I begin to just look at the research tools, it's just overwhelming where we are. Recent research states that there are now 195 million non-churched people in America, making America one out of four of the largest unchurched nations on the planet. That's staggering to me. 81% of America is unchurched. They have no church affiliation. 92% of America will not even be in worship today. Is that staggering to you? Is that overwhelming to you? That 92% of America will not even be in church today according to the research model that I looked at. That doesn't mean that 92% are lost. It just means they're just not going to church. And it's overwhelming to me to see where we are. The American church is in the midst of one of the largest mission fields in the world today. I read a book by a gentleman who pastored a church in the Chicago area. His name is James McDonald. And a few years ago, he wrote a book called Vertical Church. And in this book called Vertical Church, he writes this. This is, this is um, sort of substantiating all of this that I've been sharing so far. It's just a sample of current statistics, he said, of epic church failure in America today. Some of the stats that he developed in his research were 6,000 churches are closing their doors every single year. 3,500 Americans are leaving the church every single day. That's the rapid decline that we are in right now. 3,500 Americans are leaving the church every single day. Less than 20% of Americans even attend church regularly which validates that other 80% or 81% that are unchurched. Only 15% of churches in the United States are even growing numerically. 15% are only growing numerically. 85% of the churches in America are now plateaued or declining. And only 2% of churches in America today, today are growing by new convert growth. Yet we call ourselves a Christian nation. You know where we are spiritually. You know where we are morally. You know the division and you know the culture that we now live in America. And the most amazing part about that is all of this that has happened in the last 20 to 40 years has been under our watch, has been under our influence. And so much of what we're going through today 
is partly our responsibility. I mean, I take that to heart. I really do. And there ought to be a wake-up call to the church today. All this statistic, all of these things that I've just been outlining to you, this ought to be a wake-up call for the church. When a believing community, this pastor or author says this, when a believing community amplifies the loving of God, the response to the first and great of all commandments, worship as their ultimate priority, he said they are shaped by that adoration into the most powerful human force possible. And if there's ever a day when America needs the most powerful human force possible, it is today. And it is the Holy Spirit of God through his power and through his holy word moving and working in our lives through our loving, through our obedience to his first and great of all commandments. That is the thing that will propel us to become the most powerful human force possible. His power and his person being manifest in and through our lives. That's where we are today. And I'm telling you, you and I can make a significant difference through our spiritual influence with those around us. Would you agree that we can make a difference? We can make a difference. We really can. Worship or adoration is the most powerful expression that a human being is even capable of. And when it comes to worship, here's the reality. When it comes to worship, we in the church do not know what we do not know about worship. We don't know. We think that attending worship on Sunday gets that done in our spiritual journey. Folks, I'm telling you, worship cannot nor does not have to happen just on Sunday. And if we think that we've checked the box off and that we have done our spiritual duty by attending church on Sunday and then we can move through the rest of the week living the way that we want to live, that this is how we're supposed to survive. I'm telling you, that's not how we're supposed to survive according to Scripture. It's the living out of the loving of God and the worship of God every single day that causes us to become that human force that's necessary. And because we do not know what we do not know about worship, we really have not spent time discipling. We really have not spent much time demonstrating. We really have not spent much time teaching and preaching the biblical foundations of worship. We do not even have a working definition of what worship is. We just don't. And if I were to come to the majority of you today and say, can you give me your working definition of worship? I dare say that probably less than half of us could give a working biblical definition of worship. Yet this is the thing that God requires of us on a daily basis. I love the Louis Giglio definition of worship. He wrote in a book that he, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, The Air I Breathe, little small book about a 90-minute read. And in that book, Louis Giglio gave one of the best definitions I've ever read. There are many out there. But the one that I read from his book, he says this, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done in our lives, expressed by the things we say and the way we live. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I'll say it again. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done in our lives, expressed by the things we say and the way we live. 
And I'm going to ask you to do this. Repeat after me every one of those phrases so that you can begin to kind of embody some of what that definition is. So repeat after me every phrase. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done in our lives. Expressed by the things we say and the way we live. You're going to know a worshiper by the way they talk. You're going to know a worshiper of God by the things they say. You're going to know a worshiper of God by those things that come out of people's mouths, just simply by the words that they speak. You're going to know people who are lovers of God by the way they live, by the way they act, by the way they relate to others. You're going to know worshipers of God by the way they love God and by the way they love others. Yes, we'll know they are Christians by our love. That's how we know there is someone who loves God. Did you know that the word worship is mentioned 108 times in Scripture? Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is something that we live on a daily basis. Worship is love, responding to love. Worship is all that we are, rightly responding to all that God is. Worship is not a function of the flesh. It's a function of the spirit. Worship is not passive. Worship is participative. Worship defies definition. It can only be encountered. Worship is our spirit in communion with his spirit in the truth and knowledge of who he is based on the holy word of God. I'm telling you that worship is not about what God is going to do for me. It's all about who he is to me. It's not just about what we receive, it's about what we give. I think that worship is a lot like Christmas morning. We come to Christmas morning and we've always known and we've always taught that Christmas is not about what we receive. Christmas is all about what we give. Worship on Sunday morning, worship on Monday morning, worship on Thursday afternoon. It's not about what we get from God, it's about what we give to God and we give him all that we are that is worship worship is one of those things that we un sometimes we misunderstand there's a quote by A.W. Tozer and A.W. Tozer says this about the value and the importance of worship he says that worship is a missing jewel in the church this thing called worship is about the formation of our hearts in the very presence of God. It is about the shaping of disciples who know him by being with him. It is about the transforming work that the Holy Spirit achieves when pure worship occurs. That is worship. That's how we're to live this out. By the way, there is a truth that is bigger than life. There's a truth that is bigger than life. Are you ready for this truth? that is bigger than all of life, I'm getting ready to give it to you. You ready? Here we go. Aren't you excited? Do you have anticipation about what that truth is? Are you ready? God, who created it all, owns it all, made it all, 
needs absolutely nothing. The God of the universe, the God who created you and me, breathed life into our being. God loves you. He loves you. He, he loves you. He, he loves me. And this truth, there is a command that is greater than all other commands. They say there are somewhere between six to 800 commands that you find in the word of God. But the truth that is bigger than life and the truth that is found in God's holy word is there is a command that is greater than all other commands. And that is that we are to love God in return. He loved us. We are to love him. God loved us first. He loved us. And as a result of his love for us, he's simply asking in return that we love him. That's the way that that works. We are to respond to God's love in kind. In the same sacrificial way that God demonstrated his love. And by the way, he demonstrated his love to you and I in that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Sacrificially demonstrating how much he loves you and I. And our response to that love is to be in kind. We love him because he first loved us. I want you to know that I think the three most powerful words on the planet, the three most powerful words on the planet are, I love you. They're powerful. They change everything. It changes the atmosphere that we're living in. It changes our day. It changes the mood that we're in. It changes our relationships with others. Three special Three powerful words, I love you. I'll never forget when I was dating my wife, Earlene. It would have been about 1970, none of your business. Back in the early 70s, I met this young girl, and she was a little younger than me, and we dated for four years. But sometime within that first year, I would say sometime within the first few months of our dating, I'll just never forget. She looked at me and she said, I love you. I began to shudder from the inside out. It changed everything for me. It was a very powerful experience when Erlene looked at me and said, I love you. And she continues to tell me that she loves me almost every single day after almost 42 years of marriage. I'll never forget when our firstborn, Christopher, came along. He was just a little toddling young tot. And he came up to me, I was sitting on the couch, and he came up to me and he put his arm around my shoulder and he looked at me and he goes, Daddy, I love you. And I thought, my firstborn, our first little boy, Christopher, he's telling me that he loves me. I'm telling you, it overwhelmed me. Nearly every single time I'm on the phone with my daughter, Stephanie, by the end of that conversation on the phone before we hang up, she always uses those three powerful words, I love you, and they're powerful our firstborn grandgirl came along. Her name is Hannah. They would come to visit us. They'd pull up in the driveway, and Hannah would run down the little sidewalk to come to the front door. 
most of the time, Ronnie, our son-in-law, would honk, so we know that they're there, and we would go to the front door to greet them as they come in. And I'll never forget the very first time, Hannah was just kind of toddling like this, and she came running down the sidewalk, and she had her arms like this out, just like this. And she, as she approached me, she hugged me with a big old bear hug, and she said, Papa T, I love you. Powerful. Changed everything in my life. And one day, our Heavenly Father demonstrated His love to you and I by sending His only Son, Jesus, and from the cross, Jesus looked down at all of humanity of all time, and He used those three big words, I love you this much. And our Heavenly Father is asking one thing of you and I. He's not asking just for my witness. He's not asking just for my work and my labor. He's asking for my worship. He's asking that I love him and that I love him in kind, the same way that he loved me. That expression of love is overwhelming. And the church needs to take a responsible look at God's greatest command, the greatest commandment of all. And this command has the potential to be a spiritual game changer in the church. And if there's ever a time and if there's ever a season, if there's ever a day when churches in America need a game changer, it's today. We've got to find out, we've got to figure out how in the world can we change what's happening in the culture. And I'm telling you, it happens through his great commandment, the greatest commandment of all. And we're going to build that out for you this morning. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about this commandment. And we're going to find out the results. We're going to find out God's promises. We're going to find out how he's going to respond after we are obedient through this great command. And I challenge you to be challenged by God's holy word. I challenge you to hear what it says, to respond or obey to what it says, believe his promises, believe that his ways are not our ways, to consider the possibility that his ultimate plan for the church and all of mankind is wrapped up in his greatest command of all. We must believe him, we must trust him, we must obey him, and we must allow him to activate his promises in direct proportion to our obedience. We don't even get to choose which of God's commands we should obey. God has already decided which ones are of highest importance. He said, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Now, this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to give you, to, has given you today. These are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land that you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then he gets serious. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. And in this passage, he says, with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. My question for you today is, out of all of the commandments that have ever been found in Scripture, how is the church responding to his greatest command of all? How are we responding? How are we demonstrating our love to him? Those three powerful words I'll never forget. It was Monday, November 20th, about 10 days Prior to Thanksgiving 2017, my mom and my father were in a care facility. They had been declining in their health. And we knew that uh, time was short for both of them. But I got a call from my sister um, on, a, on that Monday afternoon. And she said, Terry, I believe you need to come down. We were two hours away from where they were in their care facility. And she said, I think it's time you need to come down. I did everything that I could. I, I called my wife, Erlene, and, and we met together. We gathered together. She was away doing something. And I, we, we got together, and I got it. we got in our car, and we headed down the interstate to get to Brandon, Florida. I think I broke every legal law there was. From Ocala, Florida to Brandon, Florida, I think I broke every traffic law there was trying to get to that place where mom was because I just wanted to see her one last time. Just wanted to see her one last time. So we pushed, pushed, and we got there. Walked in the building, walked into her room. Already, uh, my sisters and their families were all kind of gathered around, and they had already had their private time with mom. They had already had their final moments with her, and they were sort of just kind of around in a huddle like that. And as Erlene and I walked in, my father was sitting in a wheelchair, and he was right there beside mom. Mom was already in her final resting position, kind of like this. And dad had mom's hand in, in his hand. Found out later that mom had not said a word, spoken a word all day, and she had not even opened her eyes. She was just in that position all day long. And as Erlene and I walked in the door, I kind of went over my dad like this, and I reached out and I grabbed mom's hand. And I said, Mom, it's Terry and Erlene. And we just want you to know we love you. At that very moment, you, you could see her beginning to strain to open her eye. She got one eye partially open. You could see a little gleam through her eyelids. And then she did this. She mouthed us those three powerful words. I'm telling you, I will take those three powerful words with me to heaven until I see her again one day. This thing called worship, it's all about our expression. It's all about our response. It's all about our obedience. How do we now demonstrate his love to us? We demonstrate his love to us by way of our obedience and by way of sharing his love with everyone that we come in contact with. Would you agree with that? That's how we share his love. And by comparison to all other works of ministry, and I want you to hear my heart here, 
By comparison to all other works of ministry, we have been irresponsible in our obedience to this great commandment, and I'm calling this commandment a great, severe biblical oversight. It's almost as if we're operating by several greats. We operate by the great commission. We understand that there's a great commandment, but then there seems to be this, this, this thing that we just assume there's the great assumption. And the great assumption is people come to church because they love God. People do works of ministry because they love God. It's an assumption. Because if people truly love God the way that he's asking us to love him, we build out a whole different set of responses and promises that come from God. I want you to hear this, please. We've been evading a biblical truth for centuries. We've been investing in a secondary narrative when all the while we should have been investing in a primary narrative. In other words, the church should never minimize what God expects us to maximize. Absolute obedience is our only response. I'm writing a book called Worship on Demand. And in this book, I write a thesis statement, and the thesis statement is this. Humbly and respectfully, I submit that until we become fully obedient in theology and in practice to the first and great of all commandments, then the gospel we are preaching is incomplete. He's not calling us just to a work. He's calling us to a life of worship. And it's in our life of worship then that we have the proper motivation to go do those works of ministry. Does that make sense? Everything has to be in a priority order. Everything has to come in line with his biblical principles. They have to. The priority, what does that mean? There is a parallel passage to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The one that I quoted to you earlier is also paralleled in Matthew chapter 22. It's paralleled also in Mark chapter 12 as well as Luke chapter 10. When Jesus approached, was approached by an attorney, he was approached by a lawyer, and the lawyer tried to catch Jesus off guard, and he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? To which Jesus responded and said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he adds a fourth ingredient in those gospels. He says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and even with all your strength. And then he goes on to say the priority order. He says this is the first and great of all commandments. And then he goes chronological in that priority. That's the first one, but the second is like unto it that you go and love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. There is a biblical chronology of priority, and it has to begin with the loving of God. It has to begin there. It just does. And as he builds out this priority, when he used the word first, I'm going to tell you why worship is more important than our witness. Now, that sounds radical to you, does it not? Does that sound radical to you, that there's a reason why worship is more important than our witness? Does it sound radical to you that I would say that our worship is more important than our work? Does it sound radical to you that our loving of God is more important than our loving of man? Does that sound radical to you? I can tell you God's ways are not our ways. And here's what he says when he builds out this priority order. He says this, first... That word first, the first commandment, is the word foremost in our language. But when you build it out in the language there in Scripture, it's the word protos, which means foremost. 
The definition is it's foremost in time, place, order, or importance. It means before, at the beginning, chiefly, at the first of all. Then he said second is like unto it that you go and love your neighbors yourself. Now that word second in the language is the word deuteros, which means in our vocabulary it's the word ordinal. It's a specified order or rank in a series. It's second in time, in place, in rank. It means afterwards, second, or secondarily. I love what Eugene Peterson writes in his book called The Message Bible. And in that passage, he says this in the New Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your passion, with all your prayer, with all of your intelligence. It's the most important. It's the first on any list. This thing of God's priority order has already been settled in heaven. It's already been settled as to what things we are to put as the most important. Matter of fact, Psalm chapter 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Warren Wearsby came along and said, The way that we treat the word of God is the way that we treat the God of the word. It's how we respond. Our response to a command ultimately reflects the respect that we have on the one who issues the command. And the way that we respond reveals the way that we respect. And with all due respect, it requires all respect that is due. How much do you love God? How are we responding to his greatest command of all? It's all born out of his promises. Our obedience will be all represented and validated by how God begins to bless our our witness and bless our work and bless our worship. I can tell you that the priority of worship is not just a concept, it's a command. It's not just a ministry, it's a mandate. It's not just an obligation, it's an order. And it's not just a duty. According to the very definition, it is a demand of the Word of God. So what comes first, worship or work? What comes first, worship or witness? What comes first, worship or ministry? You tell me based on all of these biblical principles, what comes first? Can somebody respond? What would you say comes first? According to the word of God, worship has to come first. We cannot afford to go horizontal in ministry effectively until we've been vertical in worship affectionately. These promises that you're going to find in the word of God are these. He says, if you will observe this command, and obedience, of course, is the key to unlock these promises of God, and there are three of them. And in that Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage, he gives us three promises, and here they are. He says, if you will observe this command, your days will be prolonged. Isn't that so exciting that your days will be prolonged? Did you know those people will spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to extend their life both medically as well as cosmetically? And God says that I will prolong your days if you will just love me, if you will just worship me. There's a second promise. The second promise in that passage is not only are your days prolonged, he says, I will give you the land you're crossing over to possess. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I'm not certain that that promise is necessarily, you know, one of those uh, prosperity gospels. I'm not certain it's one of those kind of promises. And I'm not necessarily certain that what he's talking about is real estate, although it could be. But when he says milk and honey, what he's saying is, I am all sufficient God and I will meet your every single need. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? 
The third promise is the one that's the most overwhelming to me. The most overwhelming promise in that passage is, he says, if you will observe this command, you will multiply greatly. <gasps> Isn't that good? You will multiply greatly. I drilled down on that word multiply in the language in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Hebrew. You know what that word means? It means to increase greatly. Where there is obedience and where there is love and where there is worship, you're going to see increase. You're going to see multiplication. You're going to see things growing. You're going to see things developing. You're going to see things that we've never seen before. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it even entered the heart of man. All that God is designing, all that God is desiring, all that God is preparing for you and I, not just in heaven, but here on earth. We cannot even fathom what God is desiring to do through your life, through your family, through the ministry of this church, we don't even have a clue all that God desires to do. I'm just saying what he is saying. We've got to become more obedient to this command. Obedience is the key to unlock all the promises of God. He says things like, this is not just Old Testament teaching. In the New Testament, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. What a great promise. God is a rewarder of those who diligently go on mission trips. It's not what he said. God is a rewarder of those who diligently witness. It's not what he said. God is a rewarder of those who work in the church. It's not what he said. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Oh, he's not done. There are more biblical promises, more New Testament promises. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, which is a vertical ascent, avails much. It has everything to do with knowing him. And after we know him, and after we've spent time in his presence, then we have the proper fuel to make him known to others. Our obligation is not work. Our obligation is not witness. Our obligation is not ministry. Our obligation, according to the greatest command of all, is worship. That's our obligation. Anything outside of that obligation is secondary, and it does not accomplish his goals, his promises, and all that he desires to accomplish through you and I today. I'm asking you, do you love God? Are you a worshiper of God? According to John 4, there's coming a day when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking for those who are even willing to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I'm telling you that today, as I look at that passage, while we must have a balance between spirit and truth, we also have to understand that God is seeking for those who are willing. And you know what seeking implies? Seeking implies that it must be hard to find. So today, it's like, I can't, I've lost my 
car keys. I can't find my car keys. I'm seeking. I've lost my wallet. I can't find my wallet. And God is looking around today and he's saying, I'm seeking for the heart of a will. Are you a worshiper? Will, will you worship me today? Will you love me today with all of your heart? And he's roaming and he's seeking and he's coming to you today. And he's asking, are you a worshiper? Will you love me today? Will you love me today? Will you today? Will you love me with all your heart? Are you a worshiper? And he's seeking for the heart of a worshiper. But now wait a minute. He's not the only power of the universe that's seeking. I understand from Scripture that Satan is like a roaring lion. What is he doing? He is seeking for those whom he may devour. Are you kidding me? These two great powers value you and I to the degree that they pause to seek for us. Now in the seeking, what I want to ask the church today, who's winning? Now, we know who wins at the end of the age, right? But today, at this very moment, who's winning? Is God attracting worshipers at the same rate of speed that the enemy is devouring people? You help me answer that question. And once we understand that the seeking of God and God seeking the heart of a worshiper, when those two things meet and he begins to be able to build out those promises, it can be overwhelming in our lives. I'm asking you today, are you a worshiper? That song that we used to sing, Lord, I, I'm sorry for the thing that I have made my worship. And I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Real worship will always lead to a response. What is your response today? Do you believe that the presence of God is life-changing? Would you raise your hand and you say, I believe the presence of God is life-changing. Would you raise your hand seriously? If you, even in the balcony. Do you believe that the presence of God is life-changing? Can I tell you what you've just admitted? What you've just admit, admitted is we've come into the house of the Lord to worship Almighty God. You've just admitted that his presence is life-changing. If we've encountered life change, what that means is we will walk out of the doors of this church today and we will not live the same, we will not talk the same, and we will not live the same because you've just admitted that his presence is life-changing. However, if we walk out of here today living, talking, and walking the same, you did not worship. You did not encounter the presence of God. You know what we did? We just went to church. We went to church. Do you have the heart of worship? Will you today say, I'm coming back to the heart of worship? And maybe you're not a worshiper at all today. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, and you're saying, God has done something. He's doing something in my life. He's doing something in my heart. And today, I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ, recognizing what he did for me on the cross. I'm going to ask him to forgive me of my sin, and I'm going to invite Jesus to come and live in my heart. Today, I want to become a worshiper of God. Maybe you've been visiting this church and you're saying, I just love the ministry. I love the worship. I love the fellowship. I love this place. And I want to come and plant my heart in my life right here at First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. Today, I want to move my membership to this church. Three ways that we can respond. Are you willing to do that today? Brother Andre is coming up. Our instrumentalists are coming up. We're going to have some staff members who will be right down here to receive those who are going to respond. Hopefully today that you will respond. I'm going to ask you prayerfully if you'll be willing to stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you please stand at this very moment? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's ask God.
to move right now among us and see what he's going to do in this service. Father, we come to you today knowing that you are in total control. You have spoken in and through your holy word today. Lord, we've been listening to what you're saying. Lord, we do recognize that worship will always lead to a response. And Father, I pray that today many will respond to your spirit. Many will respond to your holy word. May life change occur today. May we be different because of our encounter with you. It's in your very precious and holy name that I pray. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. Amen. Would you sing and would you respond?